Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Healthier Together podcast. I'm your host, Liz Moody, and I'm coming to you today from London, where I just am finishing up two and a half weeks of traveling around the Scottish Highlands with my dad and my husband. It was a lovely, lovely trip. DM me if you need recommendations on that part of the world. I have a ton of thoughts. Um, I'm doing a quick two-day stop over in London to see some old friends before heading back to New York and... I don't know. A lot of feelings right now. London is so interesting for me. Zach and I lived here for two years, a few years back, and it was this really wonderful time. It was this grand adventure that we had together, but it was also when my anxiety reached its absolute peak when I couldn't get out of bed for a month and I was having panic attacks whenever I left the house. And I love the city. I love the history and the parks and the friends that I eventually made here, but I also can't help but feel like I failed when I'm here. I've always considered myself sort of a traveler, someone who can live all over the world and deal with all sorts of different situations. And I just feel like I could have taken a different path in London. I could have made different choices that would have had different outcomes. And I don't know. I know everything in life brings us to where we are, but it's a time that's laden with a lot of regrets that I'm still processing. So that always gets sort of stirred up for me while I'm here. But I'm going to try to enjoy it. I love actually having the opportunity to think about these things and process all these things. And I also love having the opportunity to eat at Dishoom, which is my favorite restaurant in the world if you ever go to London. So I'm going to do that, see a few old friends, and hopefully have a lovely time. Anyway, I have a great episode to share with all of you lovely humans today featuring not just one, but two incredible guests. We have Monique Voles from Ambitious Kitchen and Janine D'Onofrio from Love and Lemons. We recorded this live at my Chicago tour stop for the Healthier Together cookbook, but It's much more of a traditional interview about Monique and Janine than a lot of my tour stops. I jump in a little bit at the end when we're answering audience questions. I always love the audience questions because I feel like they're more like what you all would ask if you were there. But other than that, it's really focused on telling the stories of these two incredible women. And their stories are incredible. Both Monique and Janine have hugely successful food blogs. Monique is the woman behind the whole ambitious kitchen empire, which I'm sure you've heard of. She has her amazing blog, which has tons of recipes, and she has Ambitious Home, which is her gorgeous vintage rug shop. Janine created Love and Lemons, and she has her whole blog, Love and Lemons, which I'm sure you've cooked something from. Her graphic design is amazing. You can hear on this episode Monique and I just sort of fawning over Janine's gorgeous sense of design and aesthetic, which we talk about where she got that from. But she also has two best-selling cookbooks under her belt, The Love and Lemons Cookbook and Love and Lemons Every Day, which just came out around the same time as Healthier Together last spring. They've both figured out not only how to make a successful living financially, but also how you can make a successful life and how, how you can build doing what you love into a wonderful life for yourself. So we really focus on how that happened and how you at home can make that happen for yourself in this episode. We talk about where they actually make their income, like how their pie chart breaks down, how they decided to leave their corporate job to work for themselves full-time, when you should start charging for your work and how much you should work for free and how to know what your value is, how to network effectively and how they've built these incredible networks, both of them, how to use social media to feel good. We also talk a lot about like how to know 
what your passion actually is. And if you know what your passion is, what are the very first steps you take in pursuing it and how to know what makes you stand out from the crowd of everybody else and all of those types of things. They have very different approaches and perspectives about these things. And I definitely learned a lot. So I hope that you do too. This is totally an episode about how to actually create your dream life from grander visions to more specific nitty-gritty questions and details that you might have. And it's also just a really fun one if you love Monique or Janine and you want to peek into the people behind their amazing brands. You'll really get to know both of them in this episode, including their relationships, their fears, their hopes, and I hope you love both of them as much as I do. One quick thing before we get started, um, I am signing book plates to send to people who purchase the Healthier Together cookbook. A book plate is essentially, it's like a sticker that goes in the book and I can sign my name or write a message or draw a picture of it. I can only draw pictures of pigs, palm trees, and popcorn. So if you want a picture of a pig, palm tree, or popcorn, I'm happy to draw that for you. Anything you want, really. It's great just to have and it's even better as a present. And I would love to send you one, but I'd love just one quick favor in return. If you could leave an Amazon review for Healthier Together. Even if you bought it somewhere else, it's totally fine. And just say a few things that you love about the book, your favorite recipe, any of that. It takes two minutes. And then after you can screenshot it or just screenshot that you did it. And you can send it to Liz, L-I-Z at LizMoody.com. L-I-Z-M-O-O-D-Y.com with whatever you want me to write on your book play in the email. It can be for you. It can be for a friend. It can be for a parent for anybody that you want. And I will get those out in the next few weeks. And thank you. Thank you very much. I really appreciate the reviews. They're really helpful for people finding the book, especially with the holidays coming up. So if you want a signed copy, just uh, do the Amazon review, screenshot it, send it to Liz at Liz Moody, and I will get that right out to you. All right. I hope you love this episode. I cannot wait to hear your thoughts, so be sure to screenshot it and share what you're loving, questions you have, all of that. As always, tag me. I'm at Liz Moody. And then also tag Monique and Janine with this episode. They're at Ambitious Kitchen and at Love and Lemons. And we would all love to continue the conversation. Enjoy. I think we should start with, I'm so fascinated with both of you as businesswomen. You've built really successful careers in something that is very hard to build a successful career in. So can we start off with like, when you were growing up, did you think that this type of career was possible? What did your parents do? Just sort of what was that background? So let's start with Monique. Um, Well, I don't think blogging really existed when I was growing up. So um, I never really thought that this would be my job or anything like that. I started out working at General Mills in brand management, social and digital. And so I always loved food. My parents, I grew up with my parents cooking. My mom is full Puerto Rican. So she was always like just making the most delicious things ever. And then what what would she make? Oh my gosh. She would make empanadas, um, just pozole, like I Puerto Rican potatoes, everything. And where are you? Like, where are you growing up in this story? Um, I grew up in Minnesota. Okay. Yeah. Small town, big, does Minnesota have big uh, cities? Just outside of Minneapolis. Okay. But it's just not that big. Yeah. Basically small. Okay. (laughs) Um, And, you know, I was always exposed to food. um, And then my dad was a baker. And so, yeah, I, he just, so you had like the dream childhood (laughs) basically, or you were like 400 pounds. No, I was was definitely chunky. Um, (laughs) 
but yeah, no, my parents were just always encouraging me to be in the kitchen and that was really, really fun for me. So eventually I just knew I wanted to work in food. I thought I wanted to work in CPG consumer packaged goods and I had that opportunity and then had my blog at the same time and then quickly just realized that it was so much more my passion. And of course, when you work for yourself, you just you're you're able to be more creative, you set your own schedule, you know, there's just so many more benefits. So eventually I took that leap. All right. So we'll get into the specifics of leap taking later because mm-hmm. I think it's like not nearly as easy as maybe we yeah. might talk about <laughs> retrospectively and it's very brave. But let's go with you. Did you were you raised by people who sort of thought this was an option? Uh well, I mean, first of all, food blogs didn't exist when we were growing up too. Have that though. Do you identify oh, yeah, as like yeah. a food blogger or a cookbook author? Or I guess both. No, okay. <laughs> I guess I just identify with a creative person of the world, and I just happen to love food. Um, and but what was the first question? Whether first you question what you oh, sort of like thought you're going to be so when you grew up? I knew I would be an artist of some type. Um, although my parents, um, it's funny because my dad, my grandfather was. Um, an entrepreneur, and my dad always said how much he never want, always wanted to work for somebody else. So it was kind of encouraged, not encouraged. I, I never thought it was encouraged to get a job and do a thing, do a thing you love. I knew I would do something in art, and then probably in commercial art. But um, like he liked the idea of the safety of a paycheck and yes. like having somebody else be like every two weeks, even if you're sleeping all day, you get a paycheck. Yeah. And I was really creative as a kid. So um, they encouraged me to kind of probably go the graphic design route or commercial art or commercial illustrator, something like that, where you can do what you love, but have like a steady career. And I did. And I, um, a long sort of college story short. Um, I ended up working as a graphic designer for um, a bunch of years, and then I found myself going out on my own as a graphic designer, and I think that caught everybody by surprise. But So I did that. So I Was that like a conversation with your parents after they'd been like, we think it's safer to work for somebody? Were you like, oh, I'm no. going out on my own? No, no, no. Well, no, it wasn't a conversation. No, they're, I mean, they're 100% supportive and whatever. I mean, I think they mostly thought, well, I, I didn't ask, so it wasn't a... It wasn't like, hey, I mean, I wasn't living under their, like, yeah, under their roof. Like, I'm a grown-up. Yeah, I was a grown-up. I was working on my own. I, I had been working on my own for a while. Um, and, yeah, and it was more of a, okay, here's what I'm doing. And they're like, oh, I don't, I don't know what they thought. I think they think that everything I do is a little kooky. But um. <laughs> I do think, like, publishing is really interesting because I feel like, Everybody thought everything I did was weird until they could like see it in a tangible way. Even when I've seen a lot of online writing, they were like, and for like real sites that had like, you know, 15 million readers, they were like, oh, like Liz is a little, we don't know what she does. And then I did a book and everybody was like, oh, you're famous. Like it was just this like total switch. And my first book was a healthy popsicle book. And I was like sort of embarrassed by it almost. Like I published it, but it was healthy popsicle book and people I'd be like oh I wrote a cookbook and people would be like oh what's it about and I'd be like popsicles um <laughs> and people would be like that's not a cookbook that's a freezer book um but even then like something about people finding something in a bookstore I think is really validating so was there like a moment for you where your family was like 
oh, cool. Like, we get what you do. This is, like, really, really cool. Well, I think they 100% understood what I did as a graphic designer because that's the thing where it's, like, somebody needs a logo. I can make the logo. Yeah. So a lot of people don't, don't understand how that goes, but they fully understood that. The crazy part was when I had a successful graphic design business and then I decided I'm going to stop doing this and I'm going to, I'm starting a food blog. They were like, what's a blog? And so that was a little like, what are you, like, what are you doing? This is a little crazy and we don't know what this is. So what year, when both of you guys started your blogs, what year was it? And how, where did the decision come from? Where did the name come from? How did you just sort of go from like, I don't have a blog to I have a blog? Monique. I was still in college. It was 2011. So yeah, I was just reading a couple of blogs online and I was like, you need a place to put all this stuff I'm making. And that was kind of it. So you were just cooking for fun. Yeah. Just for fun in school. And did you have ambitions of the blog? Were you like, this will someday be something? Oh, oh my gosh. No. I mean, I didn't really understand digital media in a way that I do now. I mean, Pinterest didn't exist back then. Instagram didn't exist. So it, the landscape has changed so much. And I don't really think I knew the potential of what it would, what it could be when I started it. Truly, I just did it because I was passionate and I like just wanted to write and share. And I was going through so many things at that time that it just kind of made sense to write it all down and have a place for that. And that was that. I mean, I had a point and shoot and nothing looked good. And the recipes were just terribly written, but it was fun. (laughs) You know, I love the idea of too, like everything's going to look bad when you start it. Like always, I think even, I mean, maybe not for Janine because everything she does is so beautiful. (laughs) But I would say for most people, like my stuff looks terrible. And my first writing, I think for anything you do, it's going to be terrible at first. And you should just sort of like do it and let it be terrible. I think it was Ira Glass who said something about like, it takes so many, like you let your ambitions of your future self get in the way of your present self. And I think that that's a really poignant thing because it stops us from ever becoming our future self. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the process of the blog for you? Was it sort of a creative outlet as well? Janine? Definitely, for sure. I was just, I was, I was cooking. Cooking became my passion. I was getting stressed out in my graphic design job and um, that I had built for myself. So I was stress out at my own creation. But um, I just, I would come home every day and be most excited about what I was going to cook and what vegetables I was putting together. And I find it very calming and meditative to chop an onion and, and have that kind of alone time. So I was just, I don't know, I was inspired by what I was making and what I, the thing is, I love to cook and I love to put things together. And I love the vision. I loved how pretty everything looked when it came together in the skillet. Um, but I hated how quickly you, like, I would put it on the table and you'd eat it. Jack would, <laughs> no, my husband, Jack, though, he, we would, yeah, we would sit down and he would eat it in five seconds. And, I, you know, and, then and you're we just eat like, it. it was so beautiful. And now it's gone. And like, then it's, it's very gone. Fleeting yeah. yeah. So, so there was a part of me where I'm like, oh, this is kind of a, like a tireless effort. Like, I, I, I want to remember what I made and how pretty it was or, um, or later it became kind of just a place too, where I would make, I would make up so many different things or I would cook, I mean, I would cook seasonally. So I would cook, I had a CSA box. So I was trying all kinds of different things and putting things together. And then I wouldn't necessarily remember what I made. I'd be like, Oh, wasn't that good? You know, that I made the other day, I want to make that again, but I wouldn't write it down. I would just put things together. So I kind of thought like, okay, well, 
one day I will start it. Like, I, I don't know. I wasn't a, I'm going to start this and this is going to be a career. That was never really the thought. Yeah. Um, it was more of a, I enjoying reading some other food blogs. And I think that this would be a nice like place to put things together in one area as a creative outlet for and just for me. So first of all, I find there's something like really like, I don't know, like poignant and philosophically fascinating about the fact that cooking is this creative art that you do and you put all this time into it and then it's just gone in like a second, like you eat it. And there's something like, I don't know, beautiful about the fact that it's this fleeting moment of wonder and then it's just gone of, of pleasure. Um, but was there like a, a tipping point for either of you guys where you were like, oh, I can make money off of this or, oh, this could potentially be a career since you both sort of started as a hobby? Yeah. Um, oh, geez. I think in like 2013, well, in the beginning I was making like $50. I had no idea how ads worked. I, I mean, the whole system was just different back then. And then I think 2013, 2014, um, I got connected to a couple ad companies, which is probably about half of how I make income now. And I started running ads on my site. And slowly I started to see that as my page views built, so did my income. And then came brand partnerships. And that was first when brands were like really testing it out. Um, and just kind of like influencer marketing was becoming a thing. Yeah. So eventually when I started realizing that my income from blogging was almost the same as what I was making at my corporate job, I knew that there was something there. Um, and and this was all still while you were full time at your corporate job and you were mm-hmm. like coming home nights and weekends and doing yeah, this? That's all I did. Didn't have a life. Did you still like love it even during that time? Loved or were you it. ever sort of resentful of the fact that it was taking up all of your social time? No, I loved it. And I think, you know, I still made room for friends and everything like that. But I mean, I was very, very dedicated to what I was doing. And I think just because I like, I very much enjoyed it. It made me happy in a way that, you know, it was just different than hanging out with friends or having that sort of time with them. And I was so young that I felt like I could just really push myself to work as much as possible. So, um, yeah, I I, I just really loved it. I had a friend say that to me once when I was like, I think 24, 25, and I was deciding whether to take this job opportunity. It was like, this is when you should do that stuff. Cause in like five years, you're going to be really tired. And it's true. It's like five years later and I'm really tired. So if you're young in your twenties, if you feel like you have boundless energy, use it now. Cause you won't have it forever. Um, okay. And what about you, Janine? Do you feel like there was like a tipping point or like a moment you were like, Oh, I can make this a business. I can make as much money off of it. Well, I guess I should say that I started, I started as a hobby. I should put it as a hobby in air quotes because I we designed this site and planned this out and spent a lot of time. Actually, we spent a lot of time when we just practicing the photography. We we learned how taught ourselves how to take pictures of food and and we and as you and your husband and Jack yeah together and um, we worked on that for I think a couple of months before we even had anything that I, I would post. So it was. Like there was a sort of trial and error and then I was designing the site. So, and then I kind of got carried away and was spending just like Monique said, like I loved it or I loved what I was working on or what I was building and designing. And I was excited about food and I was excited about sort of sharing it and how I could present it and how I could 
our photos were terrible, so I thought I'll just design a really beautiful site because that was in my wheelhouse. So I'll just design really pretty things around all the photos. Mm. And then people won't realize that the photos <laughs> are really bad right now <laughs> because they truly were. Is that where, took... like, the writing on the photos yeah, came yeah, from, exactly. too? You because, were like, that yeah. makes it look put together. Well, I thought, like, the strategy was – so, right, this this is my air quote hobby, like, with the strategy. Um, the strategy was, I you know, I can – what's in our wheelhouse is – design and programming because Jack is a programmer so he could program anything on the web that I designed um so yeah so I really just thought and our photos were not great and I would spend time learning like I would he I would, I would come home from he would come home from work I, I worked from home and it was my design work at this at the time and he would come home and I would have like new equipment or a new thing or a new and I'm like okay today we're trying this and today we're trying that and so today we're going to try to light it like this and light it like that. Um, and then also I was design. Yeah. So I was designing the site and I just thought, well, I'll play to our strengths and our strengths are that I'll just like put beautiful typography and put really pretty design all around it. And I also had noticed that the, of the blogs that were out there at the time, none of them, there were, were blogs with stunning photography, but nobody had a beautiful website. The people have beautiful websites now because like the game has been, elevated and, and you have to have stunning photography and you have to have a beautiful site and you have to have really well-written recipes right you know I mean I guess you I guess you don't um, but um, but yeah I think that the bar has been raised now but at the time the sites were like I thought well this will be an area where I can like put put my own stamp on it and, and kind of enter and then I think that's what kind of people really noticed. And well, I think that's a huge thing when starting a creative business is that you should be completely aware of everything else that's out there. Like I hate when people come to me for advice and they haven't even sort of done that initial due diligence. And I definitely think if you're ever asking somebody for advice, you should have done enough research that you can ask a very specific question. Like, what do you think of this specific thing and this specific thing rather than like, I want to be a writer. How should I do that? Because it just, it, it shows that you respect yourself and you respect them enough to do the, your homework first. But I also think that a lot of people um, see something that's really, they're like, oh, ooey gooey brownies are doing really well on Instagram. So I'm going to make ooey gooey brownies. But I think it's so much a better of an idea to look through everything that's out there, see what's missing, and then fill that hole. Because that's something that you can bring to the table that nobody else can bring, which is 100% what you did and what made you stand out from the crowd. Yeah. I mean, I think... Uh... I think if you're starting, I think that for any business, I guess as a brand strategy though, is to, I guess, look around and see how you're going to stand out. But that being said, I don't really, I don't really spend a lot of time scrolling through other food bloggers um, on Instagram because I don't like to be now. so, but like, I also don't want to be so influenced. Like right. I don't want to see other people's work. Actually, I look at very few people other, I, I, I mean, I follow like dog blogs and <laughs> interior designers and things like that, but I try not to kind of look around too much of what other people are doing just because I wanted to create, I want to create something that has a voice. And I think that if you're looking at too many things too much, so I think there's a fine, I think there's a really fine line. So I what are you, you then? We'll get back to like how you sort of jumped shit from your, your full-time job and all that later, but how, what are you creatively inspired by then? Where do you get that creative juice? Um, I think it's like, I mean, seasonally shopping in the farmer's market, what I just crave or feel like eating or, or for me it's a lot of like I'll go to a restaurant and have liked something that I ate and kept that flavor 
combination kind of in my mind and that'll usually play out somewhere later. Um, so that really inspires me because it's like I can, it, it will never be like a recreation of, of a restaurant dish, but it'll be like, okay, well, this and that really went together really well. And I was really excited by that flavor combination. So then I'll kind of mess around with that or something. That's why I love being like a healthy person because I can go out and like eat trash and be like, how can I make this healthy? Like, this is my job yeah. to eat this trash and then figure out how to yeah, make yeah. a healthy version yeah, of it. I, I do feel, yeah, yeah, I feel that too. Which is yeah. nice. It's a, it's a good <laughs> job um, <laughs> to have. So was, so people, you were kind of standing out, but was like for both of you, was there, um, you know, like an article that was written or somebody else who shared your work or something that you felt like because I feel like everything is so saturated and maybe it was less saturated at the time, but there was still a lot out there. How did your things get found, your creative endeavors? So for me, it was interesting because I I felt like I was sort of... When did you start your blog? 2011. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there Direct wasn't... competitors. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It was like love and love. Oh my God. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but there weren't a lot of healthy bloggers at the time or people that just focused on, you know, fresh seasonal produce, um, healthy comfort foods, whatever it was. And so I felt like there was a really huge opportunity. Um, I remember for me in particular, Cup of Joe, she shared a few of my recipes on her site and she, um, she's like lifestyle. I don't really know not sure, but, um, I feel like she's like a category of one, like people in marketing, like, are like, if you can get on cup of Joe, you will sell so many of whatever your product is. Right. She's like, she's, she's cup of Joe style is her style. So that was really huge for me. And then, you know, slowly just things started picking up. And I think, you know, it was all about getting people to the website once to try a recipe and then hopefully they sign up and come back again. Um, I, there was like a couple different sites out there. Like Pioneer Woman used to have this, probably still does. I don't even remember what it was called. It was like a sister site where you could submit recipes and people would make them and rate them. And then really big bloggers would remake them and talk about how good they were. So that, that helped. Um, and just like involving myself in the food blogging community was really helpful. What did that look like? Just going to conferences, events, meeting other people, learning a lot, I think, um, and just being more consistent with my work. So when I started doing all of those things, I would see sites like Cup of Joe or, um, I don't even know, like, back in the day, it was like Today Food or something like yeah. that, you know, they like, picked me up. So that was really helpful. Okay. And for you, Jean? Um, I think, I remember we started, we launched the blog, um, and then one week later, this was sort of the, like, cause we wouldn't actually start making money on it for two or three years, really. Um, but it was kind of dangerous because it was a week in and Glamour Magazine posted something, re- reposted something. A and week in? Yeah. It was like ten, like seven days. <laughs> and you didn't the pitch day. them? They literally no, just no, found yeah. you? It was just, a, I, we had Google Analytics like hooked up and all of a sudden, like there were, there was nobody on our site, like, except for probably my mom. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it was like, oh my gosh, like, there are people here. That's, That's me. crazy. Yeah. It wasn't like a giant feature. It was no, like a little like, thing on their site. No, but like, they still found you. It was like a tiny picture and a little link over it. And I was like, oh my God, Jack, like, we are going to, this is going to work. <laughs> We're going to make it. And, but that was kind of dangerous because 
it takes a lot of it takes a lot of little things and a lot of big things and a lot of I'd say working for like nothing a lot of people posting and linking over a lot of the time and it was really exciting because I think at the time other bloggers would link over um, and when they found us and that was really really cool um, like I remember Sprouted Kitchen shared reshared something and Green Kitchen Stories posted and my friends a couple of cooks posted something and I remember like oh my gosh like all these people are linking over and this is great, but that, and, and then you weren't asking for any of that. They were no, just no, sort of no, like just, finding you. Everybody would always do linky things like that too. And it was like, Oh, Hey, here's something like follow Friday or like, here's the thing we found, or here's something I'm sharing on Twitter. Actually, man, the first one, my fr- friend, Catherine from cookie and Kate, I think she was the very first one that was like, Oh my gosh, beautiful new food blog. And so I credit her for like the, maybe a little bit, she was right after the glamour magazine thing. Um, but the thing is, is that then I spent years in, uh, or what seemed like your, I, I don't remember the time frame, but I spent a lot of time then like contributing for free at a lot of places to, for this exposure, like for this search of, in the search of exposure, um, kind of knowing that I had to like pay my, like pay my dues or like do this work and that it wasn't like starting in graphic design. You can start very quickly because somebody needs a service and they agree to pay for this service. And starting an online thing meant building a following before you could start really charging anything and anything in any real way. So um, I'm so curious about that concept because there's so many like Instagram memes that are like, you have to say no and like protect your time and all that kind of stuff. And just sort of like inspirational quotes about that. Um, and how saying no is like one of the most important things to pursuing your business. But then I have like my friend, Kelly Levesque, who was on an earlier episode of the podcast has this great story about how she started working with Jessica Alba. And it was literally just by saying yes to being this like weird free nutritionist at a Target event. And then she um, helped Jessica Alba's makeup artist, who she didn't know was Jessica Alba's makeup artist with um, arthritis in her hands. And then that person recommended her Jessica Alba. And that completely kickstarted her whole career. So if she had said no to that because she was free and she wanted to protect her time, she wouldn't have the same career she she has now. And I think it's a, such a hard... Like, I do think saying no is important. And I also think saying yes, even if you're not getting paid, is important. How do you guys think you decide which times you're like, oh, I value my time too much for this? And which times you're like, no, this is worth it for some sort of future payoff that I might not even be aware of right now? I think a lot of times it's... If it's something that aligns with what Ambitious Kitchen represents. So if it's working with a brand and um, they want me to go to an event or something like that, like if it's a brand that I always work with and love, then I'll say yes and do it for free. Um, But also at the same time, like I don't have all the time in the world. And as I think we've both grown, like there are more opportunities that come through the door. So it's hard to, it's very hard to pick and choose. And of course you're never going to know like, what can happen because of that. But, um, is there advice you could give to somebody who is more up and coming than you about like how, how, when to do it for free and when to just be like, no, I, I need to value myself in a different way. Either of you. (laughs) Uh, I think that, well, I think it's a super, it's a really good question because I think it's a super fine line, um, between working, putting, doing things for free and, and saying, and saying absolutely not. And your time is, um, and, and everybody tries to like, sell you on the exposure. Like, we'll pay you an exposure. We'll pay you an exposure. I mean, it's all day long. Um, 
But I think, I mean, for me at the beginning, well, I did a lot of that for, I didn't really work for, I didn't work for brands for free. I worked, it would be other publications, places that I don't feel like they had necessarily a budget or what, you know, the, like you'd write a piece for like a women's health or like a... Yeah, or I would do, I did, um, I would contribute pieces to like to Food 52 and I contributed um, like things to like Anthology Magazine. I remember doing a whole bunch of, of free things just because I was like, oh, this is really great and this, this aligns and I think I'll get, um, I'll, I think I'll get some new readers this way. And I also um, contributed a lot to other people's blogs, either uh, in a one-off way or sometimes in like a three three post way or like um, there's a blogger Camille Styles where I I her, I contributed to her for maybe a year a year maybe once a week for a year so maybe it wasn't quite that long but um and she really helped me grow a lot and she would reshare everything and tag me on everything that I had created so um yeah I I think it was necessary to kind of just my I mean my strategy was to kind of do that kind of thing to a to a point and that was and and then really there was a point where I kind of started to feel like you know I I'm not going to do these free things any, anymore but that was probably when I started making some money from other opportunities and I was just too busy so I think that you shouldn't work for free forever you have to stop you have to really stop that at some point it's really hard to say but um I I felt like I that I'm not answering your question. I think it's a really you. hard choice because you get taken advantage, like especially as a new blogger and especially nowadays if you have great photos, like people want your photos and they want your stuff and they want to not pay for it. And I mean, I try to not do things for big companies that I know have big budgets. I don't do that for free, but like publications where I'm like, okay, I'll contribute a piece of mind body green and I'll contribute that, you know, this, because it's like, like you that got comes, me to contribute pieces. Yeah. But even, even something that you would post um, to linking back to my site, I got huge traffic from that. I know. So, I'm wonderful. Yeah. But <laughs> no, I, I wasn't. Yeah. And I didn't feel like, yeah, I didn't feel sweet homes posed by that. Sure. Well, I think an interesting way to think about it is to never do anything for free, but what you're getting from it doesn't necessarily need to be monetary. So if like when you said with Camille Styles, she would always like regram post, link back to you, et cetera. And I think a lot of people do stuff for free without clarifying very specifically mm -hmm. what they're getting back from it. Just sort of going to an event and hoping they'll meet a cool person or contributing for a site and not you know, talking to the editor ahead of time that they're going to get a link back to their site because that should be part of the deal. So I would never do anything yeah, for, for sure. free, but I think that my definition, especially if I was up and coming of what my value was, wouldn't be limited, limit, limited to things that are monetary. Would, would yeah, you agree with I that? I think that's 100% true. And I think there would, are so many sites that would like to take advantage. Like if you didn't clearly say, tag me on this or credit me. You have to credit me on this or link back to me. And yeah, of course there's going to take, take, take. Okay. Do you guys think it is too late now to do what you did? Like, do you think it's too saturated? The time is over and it's like impossible. I don't think it's impossible. Um, but it's definitely more difficult. And I think the name of the game has changed because when we both first started, like we were very passionate and kind of doing it as like a hobby with no, I think the goal is to just like make as much money as we could sort of thing. We weren't thinking about it as like, this is going to be like our lifelong career. Um, 
And I think so the intention with some of the people I see starting blogs is like a little bit different. And sure, that's fine, but you really do have to believe in what you're doing and, and show that you're authentic. And I think that is often where I see a difference in a lot of people that are just starting out, especially on Instagram and things like that, because that's a very easy way to kind of like go back to your blog, um, get your personality out there and stuff like that. But um, like be there for the right reasons. Yeah. To quote the bachelor. Yeah. I think it's (laughs) always, um, it's, it's very easy to start a blog. It's difficult to be consistent with it. It's difficult to, you know, I think nail brand partnerships and, and so you just have to really be doing it. Yeah. For the right reasons. And I think people can tell nowadays. What about you? Do you think it's too late? I don't think it's too, actually, no, I don't think it's too late at all. I mean, I agree with Monique because it was really kind of the wild west back then. Um, but I think that what's available now there, I mean, they're like, I don't know. Sometimes I'm surprised. There are courses. There are like, there is this sort of like clear path of like, if you do this, you can sort of achieve this. And I'm not really sure how that would work because I haven't tried it out, but I think I'm, I guess I'm surprised to see how many people can, like how much, I guess how much information there is about how to do this and how many people are starting and are starting really successfully. So I don't really know. It's hard to say because I always say, like, I just, if I had to rethink, if I was starting now, I have no idea what my, I would have had a strategy. I would have come up with something like a plan, but it would have, it would look entirely different than what my plan was back then. So it's so, I don't know. It's so hard to say, but I think there's so, I think the space is so big though, because at the time, even when we were doing brand partnerships, I feel like there weren't that many people doing it yeah. at all. I yeah. feel like I feel like we were both in really, really, really early with that. And there was, weren't trying to convince even or get a budget out of that That's was true. like, what is like, it wasn't people didn't know what this was and what is this and why should I pay you to post about my product? And so, and now there are like, it's different. It's just everyone yeah. knows it's a thing. It's like a line item. Well, influencer item. marketing is a thing. Yeah. It's a term. Like, it was words weren't words when we started. Well, and I think there's so many small food brands in particular, just any brand, I mean, that now their budgets that were for marketing in other ways are now directed towards influencer marketing. So, I mean, I think it's a lot easier to start. I think it's harder to stand out. Yeah. Which is what I always kind of say. A lot of people will be like, in publishing, we talk about if you want to like start um, a site or write an article or write a book, it should be, you should be creating something that you wish you could read that you can't read because you can't find anywhere. And I think that's the same for a blog or an Instagram or anything like that. I think in general, you're going to be way better off if you're creating something that you wish existed and you can't find anywhere else because then there's a very high probability. In podcasts, people ask me all the time, um, is it too late to start a podcast? Is it too late to start a podcast? Because I didn't start my podcast that long ago, but it's grown really, really fast, which I'm so grateful for. But it's because I think I wanted a style of podcast that I couldn't find out there. And people are always asking me like what podcast I listen to. And I recommend, um, if they like my podcast, cause they can't find other stuff that's kind of similar to it. 
And I don't know other ones that are like mine, which is why I started mine. I wanted one that was going to feel like you were like hanging out at the table with your girlfriends and drinking wine and very conversational, but you were also learning. Um, And I felt like all the health podcasts were either you're really learning and you're sort of interviewing doctors, or then you'd get into sort of more of the girly conversational stuff. And there wasn't a fusion of the two where I felt like I could become the self I wanted to be, but do it while I was sort of assuaging that lonely feeling of being home in my house with nobody to hang out with. So I I wanted to create that. I didn't feel like it was there and I created my podcast. And I think that's why it's found an audience. And I think that leading with that will ensure success more than just like, I want to start an Instagram. I want to start a blog. I want to write a book. I think there should always be like, I want to write this book. This book needs to exist in the world and I don't see it out there. So I'm going to write it. You're listening to the Healthier Together podcast. People are always asking me what supplements I recommend, so I wanted to walk you guys through a few that have made a real difference in my life. All of these are from Garden of Life, one of today's sponsors and a brand that I've been using for years, long before we started working together. Their oil of oregano is one of my go-tos for travel. It's a tincture, and you only need a few drops of it, but it's incredibly antiviral and antibacterial. Whenever I start feeling a bit off or sick, I put about eight drops in a glass of water and chug it down. It tastes super spicy, but it makes me feel better by the next day, whether I felt like I was getting a flu or a cold or a stomach bug or food poisoning. I use it at home, of course, but it saved me so many times on the road that I never go on a trip without it. The prebiotic fiber is also huge for me. A lot of gut issues are caused by not passing waste through your intestines quickly or thoroughly enough. And beyond that, while we focus so much on probiotics, those good bugs need food in the form of prebiotics to thrive and populate your stomach so they can have all of their positive effects. The doctor-formulated organic fiber is a super fine powder. They have an unflavored and an orange. I like both of them. And it's made from acacia, orange peel, baobab fruit, apple peel, and organic cranberry fruit. And that's it. It dissolves really well in water, and it also blends well in smoothies, and it can make such a difference in your bathroom habits. It's been so hugely helpful when I travel, and I can't eat as well as I do at home, and also travel makes me like really constipated. I don't know if that's just me, but I will also have it three times a week when I'm at home just to provide enough food for the probiotics to keep my gut healthy and happy. Finally, I love, love, love the Maximum Strength Turmeric from their My Kind Organics line. I take this if I'm having any sort of pain issue. I have like a chronic knee pain on my left knee, so when that's acting up, I'll add this to my daily routine. It contains turmeric and ginger that have both been fermented to be super bioavailable. And as you likely know, turmeric is hugely helpful for inflammation-based issues, whether it's chronic pain or something autoimmune. I have a friend who takes these for migraines, and they've helped her a ton. And I have another friend who has endometriosis who's found a lot of relief from her painful periods. They also have a turmeric gummy that has no added sugar, and it basically tastes like heaven. And I'll keep these around, but honestly, I love them so much. They taste so good that it's like a little dangerous for me to have them in my cabinet. I have direct links to all of these items and my other Garden of Life picks in my shop at lizmoody.com shop, and it really helps the podcast if you buy them through there. It'll take you directly to the lowest price item on Amazon. Again, that's lizmoody.com shop. And if you want any recommendations or have any questions, definitely hit me up on Instagram at lizmoody. I would love to help you find the perfect probiotic or herbal blend for you. Now, let's get back to the episode. Was it worth it? Like, is your life dreamy now? I'm happy. <laughs> what are like the good parts? And then what are sort of like the bad parts behind the scenes that people might not see? 
Yeah, I think it's really changed over the course of what, like eight years now, um, just in terms of the work that we're doing a lot. For me in particular, I think it can be frustrating sometimes to work with brands. Um, it's just, I'm, I'm like reading contracts. I have no idea what they say. And then I have to send it off to a lawyer. And then, you know, it's just like a frustrating process sort of being your own business owner. I have like accounting. I have to start a 401k. I have to buy small business insurance. There's all of these things sort of you didn't realize that came with being an entrepreneur, I guess you don't really think about it. You're like, hey, I'm just going to do this cool business and I'm going to live my passion, live my dream, whatever. But it's also a lot of work and it's a lot of learning. And I think that's a, it's a good thing and a bad thing because sometimes I just feel like I'm like bogged down by all of the administrative things, which is I'm lucky I have my husband to help me with a lot of that stuff. But um, yeah, I, I think it's definitely worth it. Um, but there's stuff, there's things that are frustrating and just out of your control. What about you? How dreamy is your life? <laughs> Living the dream. <laughs> um, no, I think it's worth it for, I think it depends on who, for somebody else. I think if you love it, then it's worth it. And I, um, yeah, it's not all roses every day, but I get to do what I love every day. And I think part of the, but, and to add to what Monique said, that is totally true. I'm doing I, all kinds of different things every day where it's not, I wake up and I blissfully go to sit at my computer and I blissfully go like take pictures and everything turns out beautiful and it's fun, but it's cha- it's challenging. And I liked how every day sort of is really different. One day I'm like tackling muffin recipe that like, won't rise or, um, I don't know, doing, I, I don't know, just any, I can't even list the things because I feel like I'm distraught. Like I have, there are a lot of things and being, I think doing any sort of entrepreneurial thing means like you're never kind of doing one thing over and over again. You're kind of have to like fix the printer and like take out the garbage, like do everything, you know, um, at the same time. So, but I love what I do and I wouldn't take it away. I think that the key is to just kind of be happy with the parts that like the, the not great parts, like accepting of that, like everything's going to be a trial and error. And of course there are going to be like the times when everything's going great and every love everything. But there's like, I mean, that book editing process is killer, you know, and yeah. like, that's not like necessarily fun and retesting, retesting, and oh my god, when recipes like, fail, yeah. there's like nothing sadder. And you're just like, <laughs> I've wasted my time, I've wasted my money on the ingredients, yeah. and I have like a pile of mush to show for <laughs> right. it. Sometimes I'm like, Zach, you're just gonna eat the mush to make me feel better because I yeah, always we feel eat, terrible. We eat a lot of mush because also we like we don't like to waste food either. Yeah. So it's like, well, here, this mushy, these mushy not risen muffins, like they're going in the freezer and we'll like eat them anyway later, whatever. <laughs> but what about yeah, the financial the- insecurity? Because that's that's the part that gets me. I just left my full-time job as an editor um, in February and it's going well, but I'm always like, will it be going well next month? Will it be going well the month after that? I think that's a really scary thing. Yeah. I think there's always that sort of unknown part, um, especially being an entrepreneur. Like, I don't know, my web, somebody could hack my website and take it all away. I, you know, you just never know. And then you question like, is advertising always going to be there because that's what I rely on as a source of income? Are we going to have a recession? And then 
you know, there won't be brand partnerships anymore. There's always something, but I think like the thing is creating a plan and feeling really solid with what you're doing and how much you're saving. And that at least for me was key when I like quit my corporate job was just, I knew I was secure enough to quit and to move to Chicago and live on my own. I didn't know what it would look like in the future, but I think it allowed me to have more time to just really focus on like doing some of those things for free to get exposure and like working with more brands and just how much time ahead did you have? Like how, what window of financial wiggle room did you give yourself? Was it like six months? Uh, no, I just did it. (laughs) I was like, Oh, making the same amount. Gotta go. (laughs) That was literally my thought process. It was literally when your salary from the blogging hit your salary from. Okay. Yep. And then I just, I, I was like, I knew I wasn't happy. I knew I needed to make a change and I wanted to move to Chicago to be with my boyfriend. I mean, who else doesn't want that at the age of 24? So do you have like something you tell yourself when you're thinking like this might all go away at any second? Do you have like a, a way to talk yourself down from something like that? I think it's just like, I know I can't live with that mentality because it's easy to get caught up in all of the what ifs. It's easier, but it's also it's better for me to live in the moment and also to have a plan to back that up. So like saving 401k, like setting up all of those things to make sure that I'm actually financially secure. I didn't have that, uh, you know, my entire time that I was blogging. I mean, this is sort of like new for me, but um, I think to just feel grounded in what I'm doing and know that like I can, I know that if everything were to end today, I have so many skills that I could go and get a different job. It wouldn't be difficult or start a different business. And I'm not like afraid of that. So I don't let that kind of like fear hold me back. I also love, I interviewed um, Jeanette Ogden from Shut the Kill Up and she, she, she grew up with not that much money and it gave her this like perspective of like, yeah, if this doesn't work out and like, you know, having so much of your business and income be based on Instagram, I think is quite scary. Um, but she's like, I can just go like work retail at Bloomingdale's or something. And I just, I thought that was like a really not elevating your lifestyle so much that like, it's scary to not keep it up, I think is really good in any career path, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I thought that was really inspiring, like knowing that you have a fallback and her fallback was like, I can definitely do that as a fallback. Yeah. What do you think? Do you get nervous about money? Um, no, because um, the thing that I started, or I guess at the beginning, yes, of course, at the beginning, this is the thing is that I've been working on my own for so long, um, not at a company the last, because before, because I had a whole career before this one, um, where I had my own business as a graphic, designer. as a graphic designer. And, um, I think that, and, and I had a lot of fear around it then. Um, I mean, that was, it, it's just, the thing is it's been so at that time when I took that leap, the the leap was, well, if I'm not making the the only way I was failing at that is if I was making less than what I was making at my job, which I was making much more than what I was making at my job. So that was kind of like, oh, okay, well, I could go get another job if if that didn't work out, but it, it worked. And then I guess when I started, when I started this and then, you know, eventually I should add that when at the two or three years that I, we weren't really making money on the blog. I, we were starting to make money on the blog and I was scaling down 
just freelance graphic design, or just clients that I had kept. So just to kind of like balance things out. So I never, I don't feel like I took a, a leap, but it's just that between that career and this career, for the second thing, I thought, oh, wow. Like when it really was working, I thought, oh, wow, this is really working like again for the second time. And I think that that was the, some, at some point from then until now, I guess I, the, I thought, okay, well, I could, tr I trust myself to know that if this all fell apart, if this all fell apart, that I could do it, I could probably figure out a third thing. Like I could probably figure out yeah, two things. Yeah, so person has figure out seven careers thing. in their yeah, life. Yeah, and I feel like that it's never, um, I think for me, like this is uh, not working for somebody is, is who I am. My sister and her husband work, like are people that like go, need, need to go and work. They need to have um, health insurance and this whole thing. And I think a lot of people, I think that many, many, many people are that way. But like at some point I realized like I am not that way. Like what free, what gives me fear is the idea of like going and punching a clock and working at the same place every day and showing up at the same time every day and like leaving at the same time and doing similar things. Like that gives me the shakes. So like I think that with that, I kind of have to accept that like, yeah, of course they're like ups and downs and sideways roller coasters and like weird things and it's it's a challenging process but it's like this is my this is my game though this is my like this is where I thrive and it's not and it's not so much oh I can make my own hours and I don't have to be there on time and leave on time because I work much 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 more um but I like I love that about I love that about the whole thing. Like, I love that about the whole thing. I was, so I wouldn't trade that. And if I stopped doing this, then I would just do something else. I also love that you said that about your sister too, because I think we have this tendency to put working for yourself up on a pedestal in our society right now and be like, everybody should at some point like quit their job and do their passion. And I think that there's a lot of people who just do thrive in a nine to five. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I think we're in this like weird cultural moment where we're acting like there is something wrong yeah, with that. Yeah. There's a lot of pros starting with health insurance um, <laughs> yeah. to working for a company. And there's a lot of personality types that really, really thrive with that kind of structure. I have anxiety really bad, which I'm sure a lot of you know that I've talked about before. But um, I was in this very, very bad cycle of anxiety for a while. I was very agoraphobic. And the thing that I sort of climbing out of it, climbing out of it, climbing out of it. But the thing that tipped me uh, was having the structure of a nine to five job, like having to get up and be at a certain place at a certain time every day, having to interact with 30 people um, and going home and just having that really intense structure. And I think a lot of people with anxiety would not thrive off of the like, well, you could wake up at any time you want. You could work until, you know, uh, my, one of my friends actually, she quit being a full-time editor and went freelance and She'd like be working till 11 and be like, oh my God, this is so great. I'm working in bed. I didn't even get dressed today. And then she went down a whole anxiety spiral about it. And just, I think losing that structure was really hard for her. I think it's so interesting that you say that too, because a lot of times, yeah, like I, I think it, I don't know if it's stemming from Instagram and people seeing like other people having their own entrepreneurial career, whatever, and, and thinking that it looks, the perception is, is that it looks because you're only seeing two minutes of that person's day. You're not seeing all of the things they do behind the scenes. And of course, like I don't share when I'm like grinding away at 11 p.m., like working on accounting and things like that. But a lot of times a nine to five is, um, it's just, it 
it is a much simpler way because a lot of things are provided for you, you know, by corporate. It's like, okay, you get your health insurance. You probably get a gym membership maybe. You also sort of just like get um, like what you're doing every day. Like you sort of have more – like I think a weird thing about working for yourself is I wake up any day and I could – uh, develop a recipe and shoot it for Instagram. I could work on my next book proposal. I could research podcast guests. I could reach out to a brand. And I think it's really, really hard to be like, which one of those things should I be doing? And sometimes I wish I had, sometimes I'll make, I'll be like, Zach, what should I do today? <laughs> Cause I find it like, and he'll just pick something totally at random. Uh, but I just find it really overwhelming to, that you could do anything at any yeah. day. And I think a corporate job provides a lot of structure and projects and things to propel you forward in that career. But as your own boss, you really have to be creative and driven and know what your future is going to look like. Like how do you expand your business? How do you grow it? What does your strategy look like? Like you're wearing so many different hats. And so how did you learn? Like, did you have books you read or like, were there resources that were really helpful to either of you when you were building your business and learning to wear all those hats? Um, Honestly, there weren't a lot back then. I mean, I remember I just hired some random graphic designer. Who's like, make this, make a pie. Like, <laughs> have it say ambitious kitchen, a slice of life. It was so hideous. You hate me. Um, it was just disgusting. But like, no, I, I think I read a book called like Pro Blogger or something back in the day because there weren't online resources. It yeah. just didn't exist. And I was like, how do I create my WordPress site? Do I do WordPress.com or .org? I just didn't know anything. But yeah. No, it was all about figuring it out on your own. Was that the same for same. you? Yeah, I think it's just figuring it out as you as you go. But like, I sort of love that. I think, and you know what? If there was a book, I probably would have either I would have not read it, or I would have read it and decided I'm going to do it all differently. But I do think there's like there's there stuff is more Googleable now, and I do think there's something nice about like when I want to start a podcast, I literally googled like how to start a podcast. Like what are podcast hosting platforms? What's the best equipment for a podcast? And I think you can find a lot of that information these days online or like your WordPress questions and stuff like that, how to take, and also like free YouTube videos. Oh my gosh. You guys were talking about the courses earlier and I'm like, those have nothing to the YouTube videos. I feel like there's a whole world of just teaching you how to do stuff for free on YouTube. Yeah. Well, and now I also think though that people's careers have sort of shifted, or at least I've seen this shift where bloggers have now started, or Instagrammers, I suppose, have started to create online courses that people are purchasing to kind of teach these skills. So it's, it's really... Well, you know that, I mean, the reason for that is because you, you don't make, like, you make money. A lot of influencers and people like that, their number one source of income are these courses. And the courses that you do about like, how to eat healthy and stuff like that, don't make as much money. But the second you do a course about like how to grow your business or anything business related, they see like tenfold, um, you know, income off of that. And I think that's such an interesting, like it feels, I don't know, almost like a Ponzi. Like it just feels like there's so many people out there teaching you how to get successful and that's how they're actually getting successful. So it's like a (laughs) roundabout thing and they're all they're really going to be able to teach you is how to teach other people and then that will be your only avenue of income, mm-hmm. you know? So I'm mm-hmm. very wary of those types of... But I also think that those types of things are teaching you, this is what I, I did. And I think that, I don't know, to back, go rewind back to the standing out in some way, it, I think you have to kind of go at it your own way to figure out how to create something that stands out that isn't just, here's a thing based on somebody else's thing. And 
way they did it. I know it's so interesting because you're just like, yeah, you got to know like who you are and what's different about you. But it's like, I feel like you knew that intuitively maybe, but that's such a hard, you know, thing. If you're just like, why do I stand out? What do I bring to the table? That's really different and interesting. Would you have any advice like of literally like a first step from like going to a bookstore and reading this or some type of pin, like a very specific first step somebody could take if they were trying to figure out what made them special? I did a lot of audience surveying. So I had like Google Forms or Google surveys, and I I kind of asked people, like, what do you like? What do you not like? like what? And these people were, like, your followers? Yeah, readers. But this was back in the, you know. Just, so when you even just had a few, you were able to, like. Yeah, in the first couple of years. And that was really, really helpful and kind of, like, narrowing down. And then just, like, sort of other people's perception of you and asking like what are three words to describe my business or my brand or like how do you see it I think gathering that information was really insightful um and kind of led me in a different sort of direction because I was going down like a, a strict like healthy baking path and I was like oh wait yes I do bake a lot but that's because like I'm a single female like not making cans of lasagna and enchiladas every mm-hmm. week you know yeah. so it was just easier for me to and then the feedback wasn't like you should be a healthy baking blog well, it was more so that like we see you as a healthy baking blog and I knew that I personally didn't want to just be that I mean I tend to err on the sides of like sweets but like I really wanted to be well-rounded if it was going to be ambitious kitchen it wouldn't it wasn't ambitious baking so I knew I just had to like shift that so that was really helpful for what about you? Is there a specific sort of first step somebody could take if they're trying to figure out what made them special? It's so hard. Um, I think that's something, well, I think you should first start looking at like, what do you do and what, like, what do like you, you like to do? you were a graphic designer. Well, no, even just like if you, if I'm cooking, I'm like, what am I cook? What am I cooking? Like what, if I'm baking, what am I baking? Or am I baking or am I making vegetable things or am I making... I don't, I don't know, I guess, to figure out what you're making that is slightly different from maybe what other people are making. But um, I was going to say, though, something that I sort of live by is the idea of, like, whatever you procrastinate on is, like, sort of your passion. So I think this is intangible. It's hard for me to say. It's no, like I can I give, like, a sense. stylistic sense to say, like, okay, well, come up with a mood board and, like, say, like, okay, like, for me is like, I shoot on marble and white, like have this like white bright thing where like color, like colorful food. It, it's a, it's mostly about fruits and vegetables. So naturally it's really bright colors. And so really bright colors work on the really white thing. But like that by no means should be like, then everybody goes out and buy, you know, there's like the air, everyone went out and bought a marble slab so everybody can have the look, you know? So I think that finding, I mean, it, I, I think it's a two part question because finding what you're passionate about and then finding your visual style are two entirely different things. And I don't think you have to necessarily be a visual person in order to figure out who you are and what you want to create in the world. Um, I mean, I think probably you have to, I mean, you have to have a friend that's a visual person to like make you a site or whatever, but. um, But I love the idea of what you procrastinated about as like maybe your passion, because I think we do, I think procrastination often we're like, oh, I'm so lazy or whatever, but it it comes because we care so deeply about something usually. And we're afraid we're going to do it wrong. I think it comes from procrastination comes from a place of a mix of like insecurity and passion. And I think that almost if you can recognize that and build up the skills so that you don't need to be insecure, which going back to what we talked about earlier, I think comes a lot from like 
trying and trying and trying because that's how you get good. But then also recognizing like, oh, I'm procrastinating because I really, really care. I love that as well, an idea. I also idea. think though there's some, you need to have some space to like, I think that if you say, okay, I want to start a thing. How do I stand out? Is like a giant, like that's like an unfair question kind of because I think the figuring out who you are, how to stand out is like and what you do is like the maybe procrastination is not a good word, but like play is. So if you like are doing something like I realized, oh, I kind of like before I started the blog, I was like, oh, I'm in I'm pinning food pictures on Pinterest all day long instead of this, like every time I take a break from like this one task I was doing, I'd be like, pin, pin, pin. Maybe I'll make this. Maybe I'll make that. Maybe I'll make that. And then planning what I was going to make and doing this whole thing and making like sort of meal plan for the week and typing out like what I had my CSA box to figure out what was going to go at like what was what I was going to make from that, you know, then into the next thing, then into the next thing. And it was sort of like an aha later to be like, oh, this is what I love to do. And I, I, w- I could just do that. Like it was a moment where I'm like, I could just do that. And that's like what I just want to, it's like the work that I want to do right now that it, at the time it didn't matter if anybody was paying me. I was, I was doing it anyway. I was doing all this stuff and this is what I was drawn to doing. And, and that's, you know, and, and ultimately like that was the kind of food that I was making. And this is the kind of, that turned into like, here's the kind of vibe that I want to put out. So I think that, and then that, so to say, like, well, how do you put, like, the visual panache on the thing? I think that has to come kind of later after you answer the questions of, like, well, what are you doing? What is the purpose of that? And what are you, like, trying to ultimately create? And what kind of message are you trying to – what kind of work are you trying to put out into the world? Yeah. Into yeah. The world? So we're going to take your guys' questions after this question. So start thinking about them. Um, but I'm really curious. You guys both work with your partners to different levels. And I think that that is um, – hard and also really fun. Zach and I have sort of off and on, we've, we've gone from like starting companies together um, to me just being like, Zach, can you make me a website, please? Because um, he is a designer and an you know, engineer and all of that. But he, I don't think he would ever work full time with me, which I don't think he should because I think we would kill each other. Um, so I'm curious how that sort of started and the evolution of working with your partner and then the pros and the cons of it and how you make it work in your relationship. Yeah. So I just started working with my husband probably about a year and a half ago. We, so I, I own another uh, company called Ambitious Home. It's focused on vintage rugs right now and soon to be vintage art. Um, it's all online. And I sort of had this idea after going overseas um, to the Middle East and kind of falling in love with vintage rugs. So I decided one day that I was going to hire my designer and developer to make me a website. I had no idea how I was going to do it. I just thought, hire people and they'll figure out the inventory, et cetera. Um, My husband and I got married in November 2017. And then we went on our honeymoon late December, early January. And he was sort of in this position where he had played professional baseball, had stopped doing it, went into like mortgage lending, just was not happy. They were calling him on our honeymoon. We were in the middle of the ocean on a boat. And it was just like a nightmare. And I was like, how about you just work on Ambitious Home? Like, we'll figure it out. Um, and so we did. He he quit. And that it was a really interesting journey. I'd say the first year of marriage and also working <laughs> together. Also doing that. Yeah, working together. I mean, it was kind of like a nightmare. Um, but I was like, are we? 
are we staying? Uh, <laughs> but it, no, it, it actually works so well now because he truly does have his own set of responsibilities and his, it, he mostly does work on ambitious homes. So he'll help me with certain things for ambitious kitchen, like that website mostly website stuff. But I mean, he is the person that runs it day in and day out. He does customer service, all the sales, inventory, cleaning the rugs, sourcing the rugs, like talking to all of our guys out in Turkey. So it's just, it is his thing. Do you guys ever run into situations though where you're like, he thinks the business should make one decision and you think it should be a different one. And then are you like, well, it's ultimately my thing and you came on or how does that work? Yeah. I mean, it was in the beginning, it was very, very difficult for us because I, it was like, we're in a partnership, a marriage, but it was also like, I was his boss in a lot of ways. And he has like no idea how marketing works. So he was kind of like running around with his head cut off. And, um, so it was a lot of like teaching and understanding, but also like, I mean, I was in therapy at the time. So that was incredibly helpful for me to be going to therapy and also having the ability to have someone like kind of coach me through how to transition that because I had only been in a partnership with him, not in like a working partnership. And so, um, we, we, we still run into situations where we disagree, you know, on like if we should have a certain percentage off on the sale or like which rugs we should be sourcing. But ultimately like he knows that my decision trumps and that's, it's just kind of like how it works. It's, it's my business first and foremost. And like, because I'm such a, because the visual branding part of it is mine, then those are the decisions that I get to make. But I always like want him to feel validated. And I think that's super important when you're working with your partner is just to really communicate and understand. And ultimately I think it's helped our marriage in a lot of ways. Um, how so? Just because, like, I, I think I have to be more understanding, and it's kind of grounded me a little bit to hear his opinions because I'm used to saying it's my way or the highway. That's how I've been with Ambitious Kitchen. Like, I get to make all the executive decisions. And now I have somebody that I really, really care about their opinion, and I want them to feel like, you know, it, I appreciate them and that it matters and everything like that. And so it's just, it's really just sort of changed our whole dynamic. Was there anything that the therapist said that you were like, oh, that's like the key to this or that really was helpful? Just putting it into perspective that I think, um, you know, I can't, I I can't really, I can't really treat him like I would treat an employee. employee, And that's what I'm sort of used to doing. I mean, I have a few other employees and so not that like I'm bossing them around, but you know, if I'm like, okay, this is the decision, that's it. Like do this or this. I can't just like say it like that. Yeah. Um, so the, the perspective and the communication style had to really, really change. And I so, bet it would like fast track your communication skills though, yeah, generally, yeah. which would be awesome. It did. And it's really, really good. So yeah, it's, it's nice though, because we do have a separate, we have a shop. So he works there and he has his own office at home. So I don't, consistently see him like 24 seven. So that really helps us to have that sort of separation as well. What about you, Janine? Um, yeah, we started together right from the get go. So I thought, um, well, food, because food is our thing. So that really was the story of Love and Women's is that he, um, I was working, I was working on my own and he was working on his own. And I thought, what can we do? That's 
like a together thing, like a together project. So that's what, so that's what we did. Um, we got healthier together. We, well, <laughs> love it. Yeah. Did we get healthier like, together? No, not healthier. I don't know. We got unhealthier still, like, together. <laughs> go eat a hot dog. But um, yeah, but no, you, but we love food. Yeah, we love food together. We love to travel and eat together and like then cook together and go to the farmer's markets together. So it was a thing. And I thought, well, how can we have like... How, before that, we were working two separate things, and you'd get together at, at night, and you're like, what do we have to talk about? Like, you talk about your work, I talk about my work, so I thought, let's make work together, and then, like, we can talk about that together, and then we can talk about work all the time, which is, like, a really now? dangerous territory. Is uh, it yeah, hard totally. to, like, shut it off? No. Yeah, I drive him crazy. <laughs> I drive him crazy because I talk about it all the time. Um, but, so, and, and we weren't, I mean... Yeah, I think I, I was full time at it before he, uh, you know, was was full time at it. But we're, yeah, we're kind of, and we're all in, and it's not it's not easy. And there's a lot of like bickering, to put it lightly. <laughs> so there's a lot of full out arguing, and a lot of I mean, we 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 also shoot together. So there's like a stress. I mean, some some tasks there are are very separate. Where like he goes and he does the he can go do a techie, you know, a, a part of the site thing on his own. And I can do a part of the thing in my own, but really, I mean, there's just no separation. And I don't think, I don't, I'm here to say that that's the healthiest thing, but that's what we're, do, we're doing. Do either, this is kind of a weird question, but is it, do either of them get like embarrassed if they're describing what they do elsewhere because of sort of the structures of men being the bosses and men making more money and all of that? Like, do, do you find that they're weird about it at all when they're sharing that information with other people? I think, I mean, dirt. Tony's not weird about it, but I think other people's perception of what we do is weird. Well, number one, people are like, what? Into drugs? Huh? Like, don't get it. And two, he was just raised in such a small community. Like, I know when we first started, his parents were, like, very, very concerned. <laughs> I mean, they were just mm-hmm. kind of like, what? Like, you want to sell rugs on the internet? Like, yeah. you have no background in this? And so I... I know that some of his friends still don't get it. Um, but the, it's just like at the end of the day, we're, we talk about it and we're like, it doesn't really matter like what anybody else thinks as long as it's like working. Then. And he doesn't feel like emasculated, I guess, for lack of a better word. I think at first it was different, but like he also knows who I am and he like supports me and appreciates me. And he's just like, okay, like she's a badass bitch. Just let her do what she wants. <laughs> um, so I think at the end of the day, like that over anything that I'm happy is what matters to him over like just any sort of feelings of, I don't know, I don't even know. Yeah. Like being emasculated or anything like that. I think he kind of like is slowly shifting to understand that like, that's not how the world works anymore. Um, and yeah, at the end of the day, we have a great business together and a good life. So that's really all that matters. What about you, Janine? Do you do you think that Jack would find it tricky, not internally in your dynamic of your relationship, but like telling somebody um, externally? If we are at a restaurant and we're getting a free meal, he is very happy to be Mr. Love and Lemons. And if he's around some tech geeks or something, he's like, I'm a programmer and that's what I do is programming. Yeah, and also fair. help with my wife's blog. So I feel like that. I think it depends yeah. on who the, who the audience is. Yeah, Zach's very all in for the perks. And then when I'm like, but can you 
designed me a newsletter. He's like, (laughs) (laughs) but he does it. He's a great guy. You're listening to the Healthier Together podcast. Alas, my mini diary series with Natural Cycles has come to an end. If you haven't heard on earlier episodes, I've been sharing my experience trying out Natural Cycles as a non-hormonal form of birth control. Natural Cycles is a basal thermometer combined with an app that has an efficacy of 93% with typical use and 98% with perfect use. I started using it about four months ago, and I have to say, while I was a bit nervous at first, I truly love it. You get red days on the days you're supposed to use condoms, and on green days, you can have sex condom-free. As time has gone on, I've gotten more and more green days, and I've been surprised to see how few days of the month you can actually get pregnant, which makes me even more frustrated that I spent years putting hormones in my body 365 days a year just to prevent pregnancy on a small handful of days. I've also loved getting to know my body better and seeing it readjust after being on hormonal birth control for so long. This is the first month since I went off birth control in December that I had a 28-day cycle, and because Natural Cycles tracks your period, your ovulation, and all of that, it's easy for me to look back and see my cycle get longer and more regular. Also, if you're wondering, yes, Natural Cycles even works with irregular cycles. The app is powered by an incredibly intelligent algorithm that creates the green and red days based on your unique body. So when my cycle was 21 days or 24 days, I had the same efficacy, 98%, as I do now that my cycle is 28 days. Mostly, though, I just feel really empowered. I'm getting to know my body more. It's fun to see my sex drive rise and fall with different parts of my cycle or to see my energy levels change at different points in the month. I feel like my reproductive health is in my hands and that I'm not having to sacrifice anything to be able to, you know, have sex with my husband and enjoy my life. I'm planning on sticking with natural cycles for a long time. It's so easy to just take your temperature every morning. It seriously takes like 30 seconds that I can't believe I settled for hormonal birth control for so long. It's also really affordable, less than $10 a month, which is way less than I was paying for the pill when I was on it. If you have any questions, definitely ask me on Instagram. I'm always happy to answer. I highly recommend checking out naturalcycles.com. It's a really informative website, and I've learned a ton by exploring it. And of course, when you're there, you can sign up to try the app for yourself. If you do, let me know what you think. I really hope you love it. Now, let's get back to the episode. All right. Um, can Does anybody have any questions? The question was, there's all these sites that are kind of telling you about the dangers of social media and how you need to unplug and live in the real world. So how do you balance that with the fact that your job is social media in a lot of ways? And I also think there's sort of a second question there about um, balancing looking blissful on social with living your real life and how that actually is. Yeah, I think, I don't know, probably about two years ago, I was finding myself just kind of like really invested in Instagram and things like that, like feeling like I was comparing myself to everybody else, Um, kind of just falling into that sort of trap. And I started taking my phone and putting it like in my nightstand and going to restaurants without it, um, spending time with friends without it. And slowly I kind of started started to cut out some of the more personal things on Instagram just for my own sanity. So like times when I'm out with friends or family and just really enjoying it Um, instead of feeling like I needed to document it for people that I didn't know. Um, Because realistically, 
everybody else is only seeing two minutes of my day. And of course, I choose to show mostly like the positive things because I wanted to kind of, I don't know, it's like, I, I don't know if it's, I want people to think that about me or just like, you don't really tend to show like, oh, hey, like I s- totally failed on this recipe and I spilled coconut oil all over my floor and my cat has diarrhea. Like there's just, <laughs> you know what I mean? There's just Probably things that like you're not like, oil. Ah. yeah, probably. <laughs> but yeah, I just, I, I kind of tailored back a bit and it was slowly but surely. But as soon as I started like enforcing that as a habit to put my phone away more, um, that's kind of like how I started living more in everyday life, which is super difficult. That being said though, I also am not only on Instagram. So it's easy for me to remove myself from that part and still like feel like I can run a successful business. Um, and then also hiring people to do like the replying um, on comments for me and things like that. It's which, not you replying to my comments? Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to stop trying to like be so funny. <laughs> um, Janine, do you have anything to add to that? Um, about... Like social media think, balance. Well, I'm, I really don't document my whole life and feel the need to post things all the time about everything, every part of my day. So I think that, I don't know, for me, the balance kind of shakes out because I will go, sometimes I'll be really inspired and in, into it and I'll posting, 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 or posting a certain time every day or doing everything. And then I don't know, some days, like, like three days will go by and I didn't post anything. And I think that's when it's like, well, I kind of needed to like, I just wasn't into it then. I didn't have anything to say or whatever. So I don't know. I think I think the comparison game is real. And I think there's a lot of, I think it's weird because there's a lot of talk about people um, posting about social a social media detox, specifically from Instagrammers. And they're posting out like, oh, I went the whole day without my phone. But then they're back to report about it on Instagram. <laughs> That's so true. And I feel like it's a little bit like, addict like you know what I mean I think it's so fun I kind of feel I don't know I kind of look at all that and laugh at it or always take it with a grain of salt and just try to post what I post and not look around if if I'm if I am getting very like I'm scrolling 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 yeah I I just try to like I I definitely like I sleep with my phone in another room so I'm just maybe not the best example of when I get bored by it and I set it down and then I'm into it and I pick it up I also think the scrolling is the part that, like, makes you feel the shittiest, like, 100%. Like, I think there's times when you, like, watch TV show and you're scrolling, 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 and you're, like, not watching the TV show and you're not really engaging in Instagram and then you just feel like crap afterwards. Mm -hmm. And it's just – I think those are the times that I try to identify in my own life and I'm, like – Am I just scrolling for the sake of scrolling? I I think it's so – I feel good when I use Instagram to actually connect with people when I'm really talking to people on comments, really engaging in their lives – feeling like I'm developing real relationships with people that I don't know. I think that's the magic of social media. Um, But when I'm just sort of mindlessly like getting that serotonin hit from bombarding my brain with pretty pictures, that's when I feel like absolute shit. So I really try to um, only do one thing at a time. I think we live in a world where we very much taught ourselves to do like 11 things at a time and it's so anxiety inducing and it makes us feel really, really bad. So if I'm watching a TV show and I'm not engaged enough in it to just watch the show, I won't watch that show anymore. I'll be like, oh, I don't really like this show enough to watch this show. And then for um, the, the like 
putting only positive stuff out there. My husband and I were having a really interesting conversation today because we just had my birthday last Wednesday. Um, and for my birthday, for everybody's birthday, I don't just do this for myself. For everybody I know's birthday, we do a thing called the birthday tradition where everybody goes around and says something that they love about the birthday, tra- or the birthday person. Because my theory is we're always thinking really wonderful things about the people that we love, but we don't often say them. Um, so I wanted to give people a form to say them. So we do that with all of my friends every year. And then my birthday comes and we do it for me, which I love. Um, and a lot of people said some derivative of like how self-confident I was and then how self-confident I made them feel. And Zach was like, where did you become so self-confident? And I was like, it's so funny because I don't think of myself as that self-confident. I've, I feel like I'm a huge fake it till you make it person where I'm like, I might not feel good about my body, but I'll be like yeah, I love my cellulite. Like I have a banging body. Um, or I, I'll feel really jealous of somebody on Instagram and they'll be like, should I start a podcast, Liz? And I'll be like, yes, you go girl. Like I totally believe in your success. And inside I'll be like, oh no, like my life is going to be over. They'll get more popular than me. It'll be a whole thing. And then he, so I, I'm a huge fake it till you make it person, but then I'll be confronted by somebody who will be talking about their body in some way or talking about being jealous of their friend's success. And in those moments, I'm like, I don't feel like that anymore. Like I actually have to some degree talked myself into a different place with my body. I have talked myself into a different place of support for other women's success and getting away from jealousy. So I almost put the positive stuff out there and I am really vulnerable and really intimate and really honest on my Instagram. And I think it's so important Like when I was completely agoraphobic and I was laying in bed for months, I would see people who would say I had really bad anxiety and now I'm here. And that was literally the thing that kept me from like killing myself, honestly. Um, So I like to say that and share those parts of myself. But I also feel like when I can share the parts of myself that I almost wish I was, it wills me into them. So I don't feel like I'm trying to portray a false positive thing. I feel like I'm trying to create a better life for myself by creating it and then stepping into that, which I've created, if that makes sense. Any other questions? So the question is, um, you, when you're starting out, you have to sort of do your own PR and develop your own relationships. And you guys might not be in that place now so much, but how would somebody who's just starting out, I get, are you talking about pitching for press and also developing relationships with sort of other bloggers and stuff like that? Okay, so how would you go about pitching for press and also developing those relationships, like you said, with you know a couple cooks or um, cooking Kate, where they're linking back to you? Well, at this point, I mean, I think just starting out, I mean, you can like you can go to, I guess, events with other bloggers and and meet people. I would say when early in my career, I did a lot of networking, just like the old fashioned way, in person, and I or a lot of my sort of early relationships, not like the things I mentioned earlier that was like, okay, well, this person linked to this, but this person linked to that. But I mean, I, I would meet people in person that would, um, then like, then they know your face. You're not like a random, like, just like typing out to somebody that you don't know. How but, do you um, find those events? The in-person well, ones? Probably like something like that. Like, like would you like, be Googling here? though? Or like, Oh no. Oh, back when I would say like in, when I was, um, well, like now there, I mean, I don't, I don't know right now. There are conference, there are probably, I went to a couple of conferences um, where I feel like I met, we started to just meet other bloggers. I think that are also at like, I think at different levels because I remember going to 
very early at going to a conference in Cookie, like, and like Catherine from Cookie and Kate was there and we were kind of both at like a very beginning level where we weren't like the speakers or like the top notch people, but like you'd find, but there, but that they kind of, I think you can grow those relationships and then those people can help you later. Um, at the, uh, at, in Austin, when I was starting my other business, I would just, I mean, I would meet other people in person or it's even early, early on in our brand relationships would be people. I met in person or people like through friends that I, I knew. And so I, like prioritize the in-person elements because then mean, you can sort of make an impression that'll make people thing. invest. Yeah. In. And then, and then they might actually share something because like you, or you made a connection or they have like somebody you should meet or some, or something like that. Um, I, yeah. I don't, what do you sure. think Monique? Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, in person is great. I, I think when in the beginning I was networking a lot through like, our ad networks and going to conferences. That's how I found a lot of those things. And then um, events like this. I mean, I know that Hello Wellness does a lot of events in um, in Chicago, like-minded women interested in health and wellness. So it's a great way to just meet people. I would say that events are your best bet. But also don't be afraid to reach out to people online and like just email that, send an email. I mean, the worst that could happen is that they're not going to respond or say no which is I mean I remember I reached out to the founder of Pure Bar back in the day and I was like hey I'm in California do you want to just like meet up I, I think what you're doing is so cool and she met up with me for coffee and like just talked to me about her business and you know connected me with somebody else she knew in the industry and so I think it's really all about who you know and just don't be afraid to get yourself out there I have three um, things. So one, first and foremost, I would say prioritize relationships, not what people can do for you. I have had so many people who ended up being so helpful in my career, but almost every single one of them I formed a friendship with because I thought they were like interesting, cool people. And a lot of that I was able to do because I had a full-time job. So I didn't think I would like need them, quote unquote. I was like, because I didn't need them, I could just feel free to hang out with people that I enjoyed. And almost every single time I've tried to develop a relationship with the intention of getting something out of it, it hasn't worked. And I think that's because we're humans and we can feel when something's not authentic. So I think gravitating towards the people that you really like talking to, that you want to go grab a drink with, that you're going to really enjoy hanging out with will ultimately pay off not only in your career, but like your life. And I think sometimes we get so caught up in being like, how do I make my career great? But it's like, you want to make your career great to make your life great. So I think that if you're paying off in your life, it's almost your career can be if your career goes well, if it doesn't, at least it's paying off in your life. So that's number one. Two is to reach out with people who are roughly the same size as you, and then you can grow together. Somebody who has 10,000 followers now can have 150,000 followers in a year. You don't know. Um, And I think that where you get a lot of rejection is when you're reaching out to people who are in a a significantly different level than you. And I think finding sort of a posse and growing together can be really useful because also you're conquering a lot of the same challenges. You're at similar stages in your business, whether it's a social-facing, customer-facing business or something that's more traditionally startup-y. And you can talk about those things and really act as a network for each other. So I think that's huge. And then three, pitching press. Always, always, always have a story. Have something you... People like are like, oh, you want to feature me um, as an editor? And I'm like, no, I don't want to feature you. I want to feature something that my audience wants to read. And if you come to me with a story that I cannot refuse, I will publish it even if you don't have a following. And you can find that, I think, 
um, perusing studies and finding ways that you can comment on those studies, like on Science Daily or something like that, if you're in the wellness world, um, looking for other news items and sort of taking a spin on it. If you want to be on a website, spend at least 20 minutes reading every article on that website so that you can figure out how you could offer something different that would still be in the same vein as the stuff they're publishing. If they're publishing like and mind body green, if you read our website for 30 minutes, you would know that like we love gut health inflammation and hormone balance. And if you could give us a different angle on those three things, we would probably publish you. And I also think to that end, writing, pitching in a headline is going to... Editors think in headlines. They don't think in like, oh, this is a cool idea. They think is like, this is the headline that's going to be on the site. So if you can look at the site, find the headlines that they're using and the style that they're using, because every site is going to be slightly different, um, and pitch them your idea in that headline style, you're going to have a lot higher chance of success. Okay. So the question is, what were some aha... Aha moments of like, I would definitely do that again, or I would like never do that again. Wow. I can go first if you guys want to think. So I tried to um, be, I've, I've sort of done a lot of different types of writing in my career, but I tried to be a full-time novelist for a very long time. I wrote five books, which I've talked about pretty publicly before. Um, and Zach, there was a point when we were living in England and Zach was so encouraging and he was such a good um, partner. And he was like, I believe in you. I believe in your dreams. And I was able to sort of support myself by doing freelance work and marketing on the side. But I was just, I was kept being like, this novel didn't work. I will write another one. I will write another one. I will write another one. And it wasn't until I pivoted completely. And I said, I'm not going to do that to myself anymore. Like it can be your dream, but that doesn't need to be the way to get there. And I switched into food. And then within seven months, I had my first book deal. So I think that knowing when to stop yourself and when something isn't working would would be a huge thing that I would go back on. And I, yeah, I, I think we have a lot of people saying you can definitely achieve your passion. And I think maybe you can, but maybe it's at a certain point time to think about alternative routes to your passion. Do you guys have um, any like big ahas? I think the alternative route thing is so true too, because um, I think... I pretty much set, you know, I set out in my life thinking, okay, well, here's the goal I'm going to reach, um, which is to be like an art director as a graphic designer. And then I surpassed that. And I, then I was like, well, now what? This isn't the question, though. The question was, what would I not do again? Um, what mistakes? That are, it's hard because you really make mistakes every, like every day. And everything's sort of a try. It's all a trial and, and error. I'm trying to be more specific. Uh, was there any like specific mistake you can think of where you're, if you were going to go back and repeat your life, you would like X that one out? I think, that, well, that's hard because I think that that is a dangerous route of what it could have, should have, because you can second guess. I get in my head and I start second guessing myself. So I, so I, I don't, I don't have anything to add this, this one. I think what it could have, should have is a really dangerous place. And I just think that everything is sort of a, trial and error and an evolution and a, okay, well, this didn't work, then well, then I'll try something different the next day. And this didn't work, then I'll try the, something that different sort of next time without, I guess, sort of, I mean, yeah, there are like certain, I mean, so holding on this one. You can pass. I'll pass it to you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have one. I actually totally forgot that this happened. But um, so I had another business 
It's called Healthy Glow Co. And I started it with another food blogger. Um, it it didn't work for a number of different reasons. What was it? It was called Healthy Glow. But Co. like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we sold meal plans and fitness plans. Okay. And we we did very well in terms of sales, but it I felt I was feeling held back in a lot of ways. Um. And I think I didn't recognize when to quit soon enough. And I think I knew in my head, but I was just like, I didn't want to disappoint people. I didn't want to, you know, it was like sort of the saying no thing that we were talking about. I knew that it would have been beneficial for me to stop. And I think it kind of created a lot of chaos in my life for a long time because I was doing so many different things and trying to be very successful at everything I was doing. And I was just completely... I was so miserable. And so I think like recognizing that number one, sometimes it's not a good idea to go into business with a friend. <laughs> you just, it has to be the right type of people and that's totally okay. And then number two is just knowing your boundaries and knowing when you're not feeling right on the inside. So much of that, I think we fail to like actually sit down and recognize and say like, why am I not okay? Like what, what is the thing that's making my life not okay? And I think I inherently knew, but I just, I wasn't paying enough attention to myself and like what I actually needed and showing up for me. And so that was a huge aha moment for me. And like from that point forward, I, when I finally did ended the business, it was like, it was just such a relief. You know, when you like stop doing something or say no to something and you're like, oh my gosh, they got it into that. Yeah. <laughs> like I, it, it was like that for me. And so I, I wish I kind of would have like. Listen to yourself. Yeah, earlier. listen to myself and paid attention to my needs. I think so much of it is like, I need to be successful and show up as this person and show up, have this perception. And I think just like learning to let that go. was really, it was really helpful for me. I have one more quick one because my life is rife with mistakes. Um, but it's similar to the success thing, which is I always thought like when I publish a book, my life will be good. Or when I make this much money, my life will be good. Or when Zach proposes to me, my life will be good. And I put, um, you did like eight years later, Mm -hmm. you definitely did. (laughs) It's good. (laughs) And it is good. Um, and it was good. Um, but none of those things are, as good, like they're all good. They feel good. The day my book came out felt good. The day that Healthier Together, my next book came out felt really good. But then the next day my life was back to normal and I'm, um, and my wedding was good. And then the next day I was really hungover. And then the next day my life was back to normal. Um, and I, I've been lucky enough in my career to be surrounded by a lot of really, really inspiring, successful women, like New York times bestsellers, people with television shows, people who sold their businesses for millions and millions of dollars. And it always feels good for a moment. And then your life is just the same again. And sometimes it's worse depending on what you've sacrificed to get to that good moment. So I think that it's it's sort of like a dumb thing people say, but realizing that you don't just need to enjoy the journey, but the journey is your life. And the good moments are single moments that will happen throughout it. And then you're going to, if you hate yourself before you publish New York Times bestseller, you're going to hate yourself after you publish New York Times bestseller. And um, sometimes you might hate yourself more if you, you know, got to 11 on the list and not 10. So I think being really cognizant of, of the things that actually make up my life and the things that actually give my life meaning is a huge aha moment for me. I think we can take one more question. 
All right, advice for new food blogger. Let's make this like a speed round, like one super concrete, super specific piece of advice. Not like a go for your dreams. Uh, <laughs> I think letting your personality shine is incredibly important. And just talking about the things that you love, because when people read that, it's not just about, it's so much more than the food having a food blog. Um, and so you just really have to be passionate about it. So just talk about the things that I think really light you up. And, and you mean on, like, to bring it as specific as possible, like on Instagram, on blog posts, all of that? I just said food blogs. So yeah, so, I mean, all blog. of it, honestly. Yeah, I mean, that's what's going to set you apart is just telling your story of who you are and showing people the food along with it. Um, I Just super quick, um, make recipes that people want to make. And I try to present it in a way that makes people want to make it. But ultimately, the recipe has to work. It has to be well written. It has to be all correct. It has to um, be something that's going to work. And I think that those are super tiny details that people don't really talk about a lot when we talk about like, oh, the photos and this and that. But I mean, if somebody's not going to come back if the recipe didn't turn out. So I think, and they do come back and they do share it and they reshare it with their friends and they say, I, I made this and this was awesome. That's how I mainly get new followers that are friends of friends and um, saying this recipe was great and they share, share it with their friend and then say, you go make that. So I think that's like nut and bolt suggestion. And I would say um, probably like think about your story that you're telling with your whole your whole blog. Like are you creating a blog because again there's like you feel like there's something that's not being said out there or are you creating a blog because what why are you doing it and make sure that that comes through in every single part of it. Like if you're creating a blog because you feel like there's no um vegetarian food for you know people under 5 foot 2. Like just something very specific, make that very clear in your about page, in your design, in all of your recipes, repeat your story over and over and over and over, because that's going to be how you stick with people. Stories are sticky. I think individual content is not. So the more you can craft your content into an overall narrative and an overall story, the stickier it'll be. And I think that goes for pitching press too. The more you can create the story and then figure out how you fit into it, the more sticky you're going to be. I feel like I could have talked to them both for so much longer, but alas, we only had the event space for a few hours and I had to sign books and all of that. But definitely, if you want me to do a full solo traditional Healthier Together podcast style episode with either Monique or Janine and get, you know, their entire story from their beginning and all the inappropriate questions that I love to ask, definitely DM me on Instagram and let me know. Or when you screenshot the pod um, and share it on your stories, you can say solo episode with at Ambitious Kitchen, please, or something like that. And we'll definitely record that for you. And if you love this episode, please leave a review on iTunes, especially if you love sort of the group format where I'm interviewing a few people at once and we're more talking about a topic. I would love to hear that. So if you love that format, Definitely leave a review on iTunes and be like, love the group episode with Monique and Janine and all of that. It's really helpful for me to see what people are responding to, what people love, and all of that type of stuff. And also, iTunes reviews make me really, really happy. I was reading one the other day, and it was just like 
the nicest things that anybody has ever said about me. And I started crying and Zach was like, why are you crying? And then I showed it to him and he was like, okay, I get why you're crying. Um, and it's just really lovely and it makes my day. Um, and if you love the episode, definitely remember to share it on Instagram, tag at Ambitious Kitchen and at Love and Lemon so that Monique and Janine can continue the conversation with all of us. I'm at Liz Moody and I cannot wait to see you guys in the next episode of the Healthier Together podcast. Have a great one. Okay, you know what stat blows my mind? People in the U.S. take about 20,000 breaths per day and spend an average of 90%, 90% of their time indoors. And that indoor air can be up to 100 times more polluted than outdoor air, according to the EPA. Indoor air pollutants can cause respiratory symptoms like sneezing, congestion, scratchy throat, and even more serious health problems like lung and heart disease. I talked about this with a world-famous doctor friend years ago, and I was like, it is awful. What do I do? And she said, you need a high-quality air purifier, and you need to keep one in any room that you spend a ton of time in, which is why I am so excited to introduce you to Air Doctor. Air Doctor goes above and beyond the HEPA standard, which requires that 99.97% of particles at 0.3 microns be captured by a filter. Air Doctor uses an ultra-HEPA filter that was independently tested and proven to remove at least 99.99% of particles as small as 0.003 microns. That is 100 times smaller than the HEPA standard. This includes allergens, pollen, pet dander. For any other pet parents who are allergic to their babies, this makes the biggest difference in my allergies with Bella. Highly recommend for that alone. This includes dust mites, mold spores, and even bacteria and viruses. Also, if you live somewhere that is coming up on potential fires this summer, please, please, please get an air doctor so you have it ready. Breathing in smoke is awful for your lungs. And as somebody who lives in California, it gives me such peace of mind that I have my air doctor ready to go. We have a few, but if you are starting with one, keep it in the bedroom. That way you're breathing great air for at least a third of your life and it'll help you get better sleep, which will have so many downstream positive effects. And as a little bonus extra, it has such a nice white noise sound. It actually helps me fall asleep and stay asleep. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you do not love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code LizMoody, and you'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. And this part is exclusive to Liz Moody podcast listeners. You will receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock in this special offer by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O dot com and use promo code Liz Moody.